If you don't have a Bible and you want one to follow along, just raise your hand and Bob will find one for you. I think it's important that we follow along together in Scripture so that you know I'm not making any of these things up. But I will ask you to be like the Bereans and go home and rip this apart. And if, you know, if the things I say challenge or, you know, that's the great thing is that the, the Holy Spirit has been given to each one of us. In 1 John it says there's no, there's no real need that any man teach you, but that the anointing within you, the Holy Spirit that's within you, will teach you all things. But, um, yeah, I'm going to start by this. Um, so usually when Dan asks me to preach, he gives me usually a couple weeks. And so then, I don't know, a few years ago I was kind of like, ah, I'm not really a Bible teacher, I'm more of a preacher, evangelist, like a like really being relational and finding a message that's, you know, usually in my heart, and then I'll share that, and that's what I usually like to do. But when he asked me, it was like almost immediately that I had this thought was like, you need to just pick up where Dan leaves off in Timothy. And I was like, I don't like doing that, right? But it was this very strong thought. So I do get these quite often. I get very strong thoughts in my mind, and now I'm learning in our small group that that's usually the Lord. It's almost always God speaking to you when it's this really strong, predominant thought in your mind. And it's really interesting how this portion of Scripture has come alive in my life this week. And I just want to start by being a little bit humble with you guys and say I had one of the worst days I've had in a very long time yesterday. Um, I wouldn't say the whole day was, was ruined, but as it, it just got worse and worse. And by just about supper time, it just all came unraveled. And oh, I sat there going, I literally had the text message sent to Dan saying, I cannot preach tomorrow morning. I do, I'm, not, I'm not feeling worthy enough to preach this message. And that's again when I felt like the Lord spoke to me and then he said, that's because this message is for you. <laughs> so I really hope you all get something out of this this morning. It'd be great if you did, but if you don't, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> because this message is for me. And uh, it's interesting, you know, the title, the title in, in, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy is where we'll be. And it's, in my Bible, it's, it says it's a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer. And if you've been a part of Northgate for any, any amount of time, you would know that uh, a, a huge thing on Dan's heart is prayer. So when I read this the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to teach on, on these eight verses that are about prayer? Like, what have we not heard about prayer? Like, we've heard, I think, almost every message about prayer. Like, God, what am I going to say that's different? But it's not me that's going to say anything different. It's the Holy Spirit this morning that wants to say something different. I read the text one time, and then I heard this word, and the word was posture. And that's the word we're going to unpack this morning. It's a word that started to permeate through my mind and my, my spirit this week. And, and just thinking of the word posture, which means a particular way of dealing with or considering something. A particular way of dealing with something or considering something. Or it's an approach or attitude towards something. It's to place someone in a specific or particular attitude or pose it's a way of thinking, it's a standpoint, it's a frame of mind, and it's a position. 
It's your posture. If we go back a week and watch the Super Bowl last week, although it wasn't the greatest Super Bowl to watch, we know that every single person on the field had a very specific posture, right? Each one of them had a very specific position to be in. And if they were not in that position, if you're not in a position to receive, if the quarterback is going like this and the guy (laughs) passes the ball, then he's not in a position to catch that ball. That quarterback knows exactly how many feet to be back. He knows exactly where to put his hands every single time to receive that ball. Or any sports, we can unpack this morning what a position or what it means to have a posture. But what does it mean this morning to have the posture or to be in a position when we're called to prayer? And so we're going to unpack three different ways uh, that I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to me this week on posture in our position. Let's just pray and then we'll, we'll read. Father in heaven, just thanks for this opportunity. Thank you for showing me life lessons yesterday, God. As tough as they were, Jesus, thank you for being faithful to speak. And now I just pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes and our ears, our hearts, our spirits, to understand the deep hidden things, Lord, that only you can reveal to us. And we're grateful that, God, you've chosen us to be children, God. You've chosen us to be sons and daughters of the Most High King, to understand these great truths, Lord. But for some reason, you've chosen these people, Lord, and us this morning to know Deep spiritual things. Oh, Lord, that's amazing that you would use us and know us that kind of way. And so we pray, Jesus, that you'd use my words and uh, and my mouth, Lord, to speak your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the eight verses, and then I'm going to come back and we'll go through it. I'm reading from a slightly different translation. But first of all, then I urge you, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. There is definitely no doubt in our minds that there is a call to prayer. There's no doubt. It's not only here, it's found all over Scripture. We know that. We know that inside out. But let's read this again, the first couple verses. First of all, then, I urge you. And, you know, if we could put that in today's thing, it's like, above everything else, Timothy, I, I just strongly urge you. Like, I don't know if I can put enough emphasis behind that word. It's like, you need to get this. If there's something you need to get, it's you need to get this. That entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men not some men not some men that you feel deemed profitable but all men including kings and authorities i don't know about you guys but um i don't pray for all men (laughs) and i hear a lot of banter actually about our authority 
Uh, I hear more of what I would do if I was an authority, or we hear that, well, if I was running the country, we would do this and we would do that, but I don't hear a lot. Uh, you know, we're praying for Justin Trudeau. Um, yeah. And, and, and I say, but I believe that Paul's urging Timothy strongly here that, listen, you need to pray for all men, but especially for those in the leadership around us. And it's hard sometimes because we're challenged by the leadership around us. We're challenged by the people immediate in our lives. I know I've been challenged if someone younger comes along, a little bit more violent, and God wants to use that younger person in your life. It's like, whoa, you're only 35 years old, or you're only 40 years old. What do you know better than me, right? And we can have that kind of heart. We can have that kind of posture as opposed to the kind of posture that the Lord would have us have. And then in verse 3 and 4, he says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Listen, this is not something that's extraordinary. If you go off today and start praying for your country and your leadership, this is not something grandiose. You're not going to get a huge pat on the back where you say this is acceptable. This is like the normal thing to be doing. But it's not normal in our lives because we do the opposite. At least I do. I was very challenged in this. Well, why, right? The question is, why does he want us to pray for all men? Why does God want us to pray for all men in leadership? Well, he says it. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's main desire is that all people on this planet would be saved. That's God's greatest desire. So if God's desire is for us to pray for salvation, then the first thing that we would look at uh, is, is the posture of, you know, where is our posture? Where are our hearts for people? If God's desire is for us to pray for salvation, then we need to have a heart for the people that he has a heart for. It's as simple as that. I'll ask this morning a very tough question that I asked myself. Do our hearts throb this morning? Do they break for the people around us? It's a tough one. Do they break for your family members, the ones you don't like and the ones you love the most? Do our hearts break this morning when we're standing in a line in a grocery store and we see people that are hurting? Or are we just kind of rushed and wanting to just get out of the line as quick as we can? I know I've been guilty of standing in a line of five or six people. As soon as there's a new cash open, I'm gone, man. There's my chance, right? When instead I could be standing in that line and crying out to God in my own heart in that very moment that God would save each individual in front of me. But my life is far too busy for that. I am not in a posture or a position to pray for the people around me. Are we praying for the school systems in our communities? If the answer is no, like I had to answer, then we're not in the right posture. It's a posture of our heart. Are they in the right place this morning? Here's what I think. The reason that we are not in that kind of posture is because we get into this place with complacency in Christianity where we forget what it meant to be saved. Dan hit us on this a couple weeks ago when he said, 
when Paul was writing the letter to Ephesians, where Timothy was, go back, you've forgotten your first love, go back and do the things you did in the beginning, which was what? Which was confessing and repenting and praising God for saving our lives. Let's look at Luke chapter 7 if you have a Bible. I'll read a little story that probably you guys are very familiar with. I think this just demonstrates exactly what I'm talking about. And we're going to see two different people that have two different postures. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees, his name is Simon, was requesting him, who is Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And we all know what that means. I don't think we need to unpack that too much, right? And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. One question I have is, how did she get into the house, and how did she know where Jesus was in the house? Houses aren't built like they are today, where you just walk in the front door and everything there. It was like a villa. And to get to where the table was, was you would have to know where that was. So somehow, the sinner finds her way into Simon's house, and is sitting behind Jesus. So just a question to keep in our minds. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he said this in his thought life, if this man were to know what this woman was like or who she was, what sort of person she was who was touching him. Uh, she's a sinner. She's a prostitute. And he said that in his head, right? I really believe Simon knew very well who this woman was. And I really believe at that moment, Jesus could have been like, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you something. But he didn't. That's what I would do. But Jesus is not me. We thank God for that. <laughs> but Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, okay, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two, two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, so let's say $50. And the other 50 denarii, or uh, yeah, 500 denarii, which let's say is $5,000. And the other 50, which is let's say $500. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both of them. So which one will love him more? And so this is one of those questions that's just obvious. And Simon's like, I suppose it's the one he forgave more, right? Yes, you've judged correctly, Simon. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. This was custom. Like for anyone coming into your house at that time, if they had sandals on, the first thing you would do is have your servant come to the front door, untie their sandals, and wash their feet. Like this was just normal. Simon didn't do that. I think Simon's mind was a little bit <laughs> busy and preoccupied. Uh, yeah, I can't even think of that word right now. But anyways, he, his mind was busy <laughs> on other things. And he, he couldn't even do the simple things. He couldn't even do the things that were custom. If any normal Jew had walked into the house, he would have cleaned his feet. 
but you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, which they would do because it was so dry. They would anoint their head with oil so that it would bring moisture back into their scalp. Another normal thing to do. A normal way to greet someone was with a kiss. Yet he did none of these things. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. Here's the point. If we are not drinking deeply of the love of God, if we are not going back to that moment that he took us out of salvation, out of the miry clay, took us from a life of craziness and gave us hope and life, if we are not drinking from that cup on an everyday basis, it's a slow fade to get back into this place where our hearts don't really care for the people around us. The greatest motivation to love the people around you is to drink deeply of the love of God because when he fills us with love, then we're just natural. We'll flow out and love the people around us. I've seen it so many times in my life. I've had those moments. I've had moments where I'm driving my car and someone pulls up beside me and I look at them and I literally begin to weep because I, know, I don't know if they're going to heaven for the rest of their lives or not. That's not my heart. My heart's wicked. But when I know what Jesus has truly done for me, when I really drink deeply, oh God, you saved me from a life of... Some of you have heard my story. Some of you have not. It was drug addiction and craziness. And God rescued me in 2006 and he's given me life and hope and a family and just all these things that I would have never thought possible. When I forget to thank him for that every day of my life, my heart starts to become dull and it stops caring for the people around me. So the key to being in the right posture of this call to prayer. We are called to this. We are called to pray for the people around us. We are called to pray for the leaderships around us. But if we don't have a heart for them, then it's just going to be words coming out of your mouth because you think you have to. Oh, heaven forbid we get there. I don't ever want to wake up in the morning and just tick my boxes because it's the right thing to do. I want my heart to throb. I want my heart this morning to throb and to ache and to break for the people around me because heaven is for real never mind never mind hell i don't i want people to experience heaven for eternity the fact that people might be in hell is one thing i wouldn't want people to miss out on heaven this is a totally different side note but i'll share this one time i was thinking i was like i don't know why i was having a negative thought about having children and you know, if you've had a few, it gets tiring. And I remember thinking, Lord, I, you know, what if I have too many kids and what if, they don't go to he- what if they don't go to heaven? And I remember hearing this voice just said, yeah, but what if they do? I was like, whoa. <laughs> have as many as you want, Lord. <laughs> Within reason. Where am I? Perth, yeah. You see, this woman had a posture of complete humility and surrender where Simon didn't have anything for Jesus, nothing. 
his posture was definitely like many of us even today. But I think that if we could say it, that our hearts would say this morning that we desire to have a heart that breaks and throbs for the people around us. This is all for me. If you get something out of it, great. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, if there's anyone that deserves the man, it's Christ. Amen? We say that, eh? Oh, you're the man. No, the man is right here. And if you have Christ in you, then you're the man too. Totally not related to what we're teaching about this morning, but I thought that was cool. For there is one, yeah, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, and that's the word I want to sit on for a minute. This I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, Paul had one of those crazy life-changing experiences. We know that. He was a crazy zealot, and pharisaical belief system and you know he was he was definitely just um all all on board for for radical pharisee living and to the point where he was killing christians and we know that figuratively and literally god knocked him off his high horse blinded him and he changed his life forever now paul had an option at that point to go maybe make tents we know that was his profession. He was a tent maker. And I think at that moment that he became into Christ, he could have just enjoyed the freedom of salvation and lived a life that was ordinary. But we know almost every single book that he writes, he says, I'm Paul, an apostle called by the will of God. And he writes that over and over again because I believe he probably needed to remind himself and he needed to remind other people. And I believe with all my heart this morning that he needed to remind Timothy and he needs to remind us that he has called us to very specific things. So the second posture that I want to talk about this morning is the posture of the calling that's in our lives. Are we living out what God has called us to? Are we living out fully to the potential that God has called us to? Or are we in a position to fulfill that calling? What is your posture this morning? What does your life look like? Are our lives too busy to know even what that is? Is your life so busy that if I asked you right now, What has God called you to on this planet at this time right now? Would you be able to tell me what that is? Some of us, I would say, don't even know. Or some of you might say, oh, God doesn't really have a calling on my life right now. Hogwash. Baloney. That's Dan would say something like that. (laughs) I like to stand on my tippy toes, pretend I'm Dan. Anyway, it's a lie. God has called us to something. And that might be a stay-at-home mom, that might be in the workplace, that might be wherever you are, but what has God called you to? 
Now, I know this is cliche and very Christianese of me to say, but I really felt like the word busy was kind of like one of those acrostic poems, and it would, it would stand for um, being under Satan's yoke. Busy, being under Satan's yoke, meaning if you and me this morning are too busy to walk in our calling that God has called us to, then the devil has already won. Because the devil, once I receive Jesus Christ and he lives in my life and God has given me the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit, he can't convince me that God isn't real anymore, can he? Can God convince, can the devil this morning convince any one of us that have truly experienced him that he isn't real? No, but what can he do? He can make you entirely useless for the kingdom of God. And he does that with busyness. It's just amazing that when you decide to devote yourself to Jesus Christ and the calling that he has on your life, what things just seem to drop in your lap. Oh, I've seen it over and over and over in my life. And I don't know about you, but I had a lot of issues in my life with um, saying no to people. I didn't want to seem weak. I didn't want to see like a failure. Hey, can you lead this Bible study? Oh, yes, sir. Can you lead this worship? Yes. Oh, I can do that. And the next thing you know, my whole life is filled with things. So even the good things in life doesn't mean that I'm doing the God things in life. And busyness can still look great. Oh, look it, we're doing all these things, we're doing all these outreaches, we're doing all these things. Yes, we might be doing that this morning, but are you living in the calling that God has for each one of you this morning? I think we literally just need to ask him. Am I living, Jesus, in the calling that you have for my life, or have I allowed the busyness of this life to come in and take over? I am no longer in a posture. I am not in a position to even hear you. And let me go a little bit deeper now. Have, do you feel this morning like God's called you to something at some point in your life, but you've said no? Because you're afraid. You're afraid that you won't be able to make enough money. You're afraid that if I get out of this relationship, that I won't be able to do X, Y, or Z. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Listen, the reason we say no to things is based out of fear. There's only two great motivators in the secular world. One is greed, and the other one is fear. And every decision we make is based out of those things. The reality is we want the Holy Spirit to be our motivation. We want God to be our motivation. We put aside our fear and we put aside those things and we say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you say. Remember when we go back, if we go back to the beginning when I got saved and I remember that, I remember saying, oh, Lord, I'll go to the moon and back for you. I'll go to Australia. I'll go to Africa. You remember? Some of you guys might have been on fire like that when I was, when I first got saved. And now I can't do the simple things that he's called me to do right in my own communities because I'm too afraid so where does fear come from 2nd Timothy chapter 1 actually you can turn there I want to read something I want to show you something why I, why I really believe that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy and saying these things because we're going to see here that Timothy had a real struggle with fear. Look at this. Verse 3, chapter 1. 
I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day longing to see you. Even as I recall your tears. Even as I recall your tears, Timothy. So that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it's in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. You see, there's no indication here that Timothy had a father in his life. I'm not sure that maybe he had a father who was alive or maybe his father died, but the reality was that Timothy was raised by women. He was raised spiritually by women. First it was in his grandmother Eunice and then it was in his, grandmother, in his mother Lois. So the first thing I want to say is if you're a single mom or if you're a spiritually single mom, it can be done. Because Timothy turns out well. But we see something here. If we look a little deeper, Timothy didn't have a spiritual father or he didn't have a father. Studies have shown, and my life, after digging deep and deep and deeper, has shown that our identity is built up by our fathers. Our mothers will love us and nourish us and care for us, and they do amazing things for us. But there is something that happens that only a father can give their son or their daughter. Your identity comes from your father. That's why Paul says to Timothy, I've not given you a spirit of timidity. Timidity is like afraid. I've not given you that spirit, right? I've given you a spirit of power, of love, and a spout of love. But what does he say? You've got to kindle that up. You've got to get that going in you. You've got to remember that you need that in your life. You need to be in a position. You need to be in the posture of having that. Well, how do we do that? We do that by realizing that our identity is based on that I am a child of the true living King of God this morning, that we belong to Him. And it doesn't matter your performance. It doesn't matter how good you were in school. It doesn't matter what grades you got. It doesn't matter your vocation. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters is that you and I are children. We're sons and we're daughters of Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And one day we're going to be with Him forever. Period. Who? When you know that, when you know that, not up here, when you know that, nothing else matters. Am I afraid? No. Remember, go back to when we first got saved. I'll go to Africa for you. I don't care how many diseases is there. I'll go this place for you. Right? We didn't care. Why? Because our identity was affirmed and built up in the Father. But here's what happens. Psalm chapter 115. I've done this before. I'm kind of repeating myself a little bit. But it, it, it all comes full circle, I find, in Scripture. It all ties together. Here's what happens. Because we start well, don't we? We start in that faith well. But what happens? What hap How do we get to the place where I become fearful again? How do I get to that place? How, how do I start off so well and strong in the Lord and sure 
in him. And the next thing you know, I'm living in fear constantly. And all my decisions are based in fear. Now I'm not walking in the calling that God has for my life because I'm afraid all the time. How do we get there? Here's how we get there. Sorry if I'm yelling. Just passionate. And I spill my water. Anyone? Yeah. Verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Then he goes on to say, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears that cannot hear. They have noses that can't smell. They have hands that cannot feel. They have feet that can't walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And check this out. Those who make them become just like them. And everyone who trusts in them. You get that? I'll read it again. Those who make idols will become like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. Whoa. Here's what happens. We start the Christian faith off well. We start strong. And we allow idols into our lives slowly. I was talking to my wife about this last night. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen at once. We start creeping in. They start creeping in. And all of a sudden, I have eyes that can't see anymore. I can't see my heavenly father. I can't see how much he loves me. My ears become numb and they become deaf. And no longer can I hear that he loves me. Listen, guys, like the air we breathe, we need to feel loved by Heavenly Father every single day of our lives. It's a necessity. And we fill our lives with all the things in this world trying to generate that feeling when we're not feeling it from Him. That's what we do. We get it from other people. And if my spouse isn't giving it to me, well then, look out. We need to be plugged into the love of God the Father every single day of our lives like the air we breathe. And when we can't, we suffocate. And so now I have eyes that can't see and my ears are deaf and I can't hear or see him. How am I supposed to feel loved if I can't see or hear him? We sit there struggling. We read the Bible every morning. Just, God, speak to me. Something. Nothing. And we carry on our day and all of a sudden just over and over and over again. Here's the thing about Christianity, though. We're pretty good at giving up the big idols, right? I gave up those things. I gave up rated R movies and, you know, we, lay, we make our big list of idols. Well, who's the biggest idol in your life? I remember breaking the word up, like I and doll. Like a doll. You ever see a doll collector? They put them up on a shelf and they dust them and they make them look pristine. And kids aren't allowed anywhere near them. Like, got to protect the dolls, right? Idol. Let me break it down a little bit further than that, though. Here's how we make ourselves idols. God has called us to something. And when I say no to him, I say that I'm more important and my life is more important than him. So I'm now the biggest idol in my life. If God says, I want you to do 85 in an 80 zone, and he doesn't ask all of us to do that, by the way. Just some of us. And I say no, and do 98. I've made myself more important. 
I've made my time more valuable, and I've made myself more important in him, which is idolatry. So yeah, I get rid of all the things. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. But I'm the greatest idol in my life. I'm deafening and blinding myself. So here it is, folks. The key to success. The key to be in a posture of living out the calling in your life is obedience. Woo! <laughs> Big surprise. It's obedience. Because as we start to obey him, I lay down my life. Ah, my eyes see again and my ears hear again. You see, it's this great paradox. Because when I'm numb in my senses, I'm scratching and mulling just to hear him. When he's going, if you want to hear me, lay down your life. If you want to find me, you'll lay down your life. So when I lay down my life, I find him, and all of a sudden I can see clearly now. All of a sudden I can hear clearly now. My voice is being uttered and heard. Oh my goodness, my identity is now built back up in the Father. Lord, what do you have for my life? Let's go. Then the next day I go back off and make myself an idol again, and my ears become numb. And my no, seriously, like I <laughs> go, like I need this message this morning badly. Because I do it in my own life, week in and week out. Love you, Bob. Have a good trip. Not to make things awkward for you leaving or anything, but let's give him applause. For the... <laughs> Woo! Uh, I had to break that up. <laughs> Makes sense. So what are we going to do when we leave here? Therefore, verse 8. Man, I could keep going on that last part, though. I feel like I could preach a whole message on that. Oh, wait, I already have. You can listen to it online. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So this is going to be really cool when you're driving. Or hard. But that's what he wants us to do. Or when we're walking through the mall, praying ceasingly. You see CGR doing that, anybody? Just wherever you go, just praying with holy hands. <laughs> I don't know if they meant that literally. I don't know. I was thinking about that. I was like, it's literally impossible to walk around <laughs> everywhere lifting up holy hands. Um, you know, so we, I, I asked myself this morning, is that what Paul meant? Is that what he means? And I don't think so. You see, I believe that thirdly, the last posture to talk about this morning is a position or a spiritual posture of what does it mean when we throw our hands in the air? Surrender. So please say, hey, bud, <laughs> hands up. Whoa. I surrender, right? So the last form of posture is a posture of humility, which is really the key to answered prayer. This really, this last part, really, and that's why I really believe that, you know, he says all these things in those seven verses. Then when you see the word therefore, you ask why it's therefore, you go back and you say, how does this apply to everything I just read? Well, because the key to all these things, the key to having 
any of these postures is to have the posture of humility in all of it. If we think that we're doing any of this in our own strength, if we're doing any of this with our own uh, gratitude in our minds behind it, then we've missed the point. And it, you might as well not be in any of those other postures. That's basically what I, I really feel like that the Lord is saying in that. So why is it the key? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Because God gives grace to the, but he resists the, God gives grace to the humble. And he resists the proud. I remember when I first read that, one of the times I always pictured like an older brother with a younger brother and just kind of the older brother putting his hand on his head, you know, and the little kid's just like, you know, fighting him. I don't know why I got that picture, but it was just a picture I got. It was just resisting, you know what I mean? And it didn't take much for the older brother to do it. He just put his hand there and the little kid's just swinging, right? And I think that's us. I think that's us trying to do it in our own strength. Because in reality, if we just humble ourselves, fall down to the ground, we could probably, you know, uppies. You know, we could probably, probably get an uppies from our sibling or our, or our parent, which is where we want to be, not being resisted. So, you guys any good at crossword puzzles? Yeah. Three-letter word for the greatest problem on earth. Go. Sin. That wasn't hard. <laughs> the greatest problem that exists on earth today is sin. Simple as that. And it's not a problem that's going away anytime soon. Right? It can't be wished away. It can't be worked away. Every single day, we have this great problem on earth. So basically... It's an eternal problem. And to fix an eternal problem, you need a finite solution? No. Well, I can just do this, this, or this, and that. No, I don't. No, you need what? You need an infinite or an infinite solution to fix an infinite problem. So if grace is the answer to this great problem, because it is, God already says it. I give grace to the humble. Listen, grace is the answer to overcoming sin in our lives. It's the answer to a whole lot of things in our life. And God says, I give it to you. I'll give it to you if you will humble yourself. This is, what does that mean this morning? It means this. I can do nothing without you, God. I've tried every single thing in my own strength to overcome this temptation, to overcome the sin in my life, and I've found that I literally can do nothing. I need you. Would you show up in my life right now? I think of that story when the guys were going across the boat, the disciples with Jesus, you know, and, and they, he, he was going to set the, the guy free who had a thousand uh, demons, and they were on their way, and all this big tumultuous storm, and Jesus is sleeping, and they, you know, they're trying everything in their own strength to make the boat stay straight, and all of a sudden, at the very end, it says that one of the disciples shook Jesus. I'm like, whoo, I would have shook him right away. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that would, you know, try to figure out something I didn't know. I'd be like, yo, you need to fix this. <laughs> I already seen you do lots of things. I'm sure you can do this, but it says that they, sh they shook him, you know? They shook Jesus, and he got up and he calmed the storm and everything was good. They finally came to a place where they said, 
We can do nothing on this boat. We've tried everything to right this in the storm, to, to try to let it pass, and finally they had enough humility. Finally they had enough common sense to go shake the master of the universe, you know, to go shake the God who created everything, who could calm the storm with a word. Finally, at the end, they could do that. But see, they were just simple men like us. They were just simple people like us, trying to do things in your own strength. And that's what we do. We do it constantly. We see sin and temptation ruling in our life. We're like, okay, I just need to write the Bible more. Damn, wake up tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Maybe 7, 7.30. <laughs> we read the Bible. We're like, okay, not going to sin today, right? We, just, we try to do our best, and we, we go along, and the next thing you know, we fall. And, uh, and then we get up in our big bad slump, and no one can get us out, and we feel defeated, and uh, right? It's not up to you to defeat an infinite problem. Sin's not your problem. Sin is not my problem this morning, amen? It doesn't belong to us. Jesus has already overcome the sin in this world. He's already overcome in our lives. He asks us to drop the gloves and stop fighting for ourselves and say, I need you to fight for me. Are we willing this morning to shake him in our lives? Are we willing, are we fed up with the things in our lives? Sorry, I'm yelling. Are we fed up with it enough to say, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to figure things out. Wake up, Lord. Where are you? I need you. Then he shows up. Ah, I can work with that because I give grace to the humble. Grace is power, folks. Grace is the power to do the things that we cannot do on our own. It's literally God's power working in you to overcome sin, to overcome temptation in your life. And God wants to give it to you this morning freely if you would humble yourself. Humility at its simplest form, at its absolute simplest form, means I can't do anything without God. But God, in my weakness, then you're strong. So as we pray for our leadership, as we pray for the people around us, let's do it in a spirit of humility. We need a posture of humility this morning. Jim and Sharon are going to come up and we're going to sing a song. Even before we get into communion, I just want you to stay in your seats. And if any of this resonated with you, if any of it, I know it did with me, so I'm going to be praying. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be praying. Let's ask the Lord. God, what is my posture this morning? Am I in a posture to receive? Is my heart in a place, Lord, for you to work and move? Is it in a place, Lord, that I, my heart is throbbing for the people around me? If it isn't, let's cry out and ask him, Lord, would you do that in us? God, would you make our hearts like that? Has your life become one of fear? And just living afraid all the time to work, to, to work and move in the calling that God has for your life. Let's take a travel back this morning as we sing this song. Let's take a, let's take a road back to the, to the time it was like to live without him and that remembering that moment. And maybe, maybe you grew up in the church and you don't have that moment yet. I, I really pray that you get that moment. I really, really pray this morning that each one of you 
comes to a moment when you realize how much God loves you. And if you don't know this morning how much the God of the universe loves you, I just want to say with all my heart, I would not be here this morning defending this. I would not be wasting my time if God of the universe didn't deeply love you so much. What are you waiting for? What are you holding on to? Our greatest desire, your greatest desire deep within you this morning is to feel loved by God. And we're rejecting Him. You're going to live a long life, a long, hard life, looking for that love to be filled in your life over and over again, and you're never going to find it without God. You're just not. Oh man, if you have not, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, would you just make that declaration that I at least just want to know him? Maybe I don't understand it. All these people seem to have it right around me, but I can't seem to get it right. I don't seem to know this Jesus like everyone's talking about. Listen, he's available. He is more than available to show up in your life. But he does ask us these things. The first form of humility that we can have in our lives is to say, I need Jesus. That's the first place of humility. It's to say, I need him. I've tried living this life so many times my own way. Jesus, I need you. And if that's you this morning, just cry out to him. If you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you just need a fresh touch this morning. I think sometimes we just need a fresh touch. Thinking we just, we know so much because we're Christians, eh? We just know so much. We know the word, we know. But do you know his love? Has it permeated your hearts? Has it changed the way you live? So maybe as we sing, that we can just allow these things to just process our minds and we can pray and we can ask God if you want prayer I'm going to come into the back maybe a couple other gentlemen maybe Amy Shoki can come in back if you're a woman that needs prayer or wants prayer man this is the place to do it